Hello and a warm welcome to the MoveList 52 podcast from your hosts Roland and Galena. I'm Roland and I am a skill-based weight loss coach who lost 110 pounds myself 17 years ago, kept it off ever since, and now I help my clients and readers to do the same. And I'm Galena, I'm a movement specialist and a trauma therapist, supporting people with chronic and persistent pain and recovering from emotional eating. This is your first time with us. Head on over to eatmovelift52.com slash podcast guest. Get your free download and uh, see how you can work with us. And now on to the show. Hi, and welcome to the Eat, Move, Live 52 podcast. We are incredibly excited, me selfishly, to have Josh Hillis with us. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? So a little bit about Josh. Josh helps people overcome emotional eating and finally lose weight using a skill-based, and that's very important, not a diet-based approach, allows people to create a new relationship with their bodies and with food and get results that have been previously never been possible. He's the author of Fat Loss Happens on Monday and the upcoming Lean and Strong and One Mystery title emotional <laughs> eating book that's going to come out next year for on target publications. He's been writing his blog, loosestubbornfat.com since 2004. He's written strength matters magazine and he's been quoted or featured in experience life magazine, the Denver post Los Angeles times, the USA today. He currently attends MSU Denver and is doing a thesis on contextual behavioral science and emotional eating, which I can't wait to read. So welcome. (laughs) Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm so stoked. It's so good to have you here. We came up with the idea of having you on our podcast over tacos in September. And those were the best tacos I've ever had. They were. It's a really hard. It's been really hard to follow up with any other sort of tacos (laughs) after that. What was the name of that place? Machete Tacos. Machete Tacos. Denver, Colorado, man. If, If anyone listening to this comes to Denver, check them out. Yeah, well, last time I was when I landed in Denver last month, I was starving when I got off the airplane, and um, I couldn't remember the name of the taco place. So I, <laughs> you know, I GPSed a couple of different taco places and found one that had like tons of great reviews. Oh yeah, and it was—I still don't know what it was called—but I went and it was in a neighborhood. Like there was an auto parts store next to it, and like there was like. I'm like, I don't even see a taco place here. And there was this like <laughs> tiny little sign, but there was like so many people in there. Yeah. These tacos were so good, but it was like a total hole in the wall. Um, that, sounds, that sounds legit. You'll have to take me. Tacos and gorditas. Hey, I'm in. It was good. Excellent. So we're going to just kick it off. We have many questions for you. Um, listeners who've been with us for a while know that emotional eating is sort of one of the things that keeps my uh, heart pumping <laughs> throughout the day. Uh, and I'm, I've been very, very immersed in the theme and, and working with people in recovery and people from on all sorts of the spectrum of challenges with emotional eating. I have my own history that um, I feel like has gone on too many years. And I don't know that anyone who is dealing with emotional eating wouldn't say that. And uh, I know that Roland has his own personal history. So for clients and listeners and readers and students, it's a huge blessing to have someone else um, here on the air to talk about this. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really interested in this as well. Uh, you know, I've, I, I feel like I have my emotional eating under control, but it's still there. You know, it's like it's still kind of there and I acknowledge it, but it's going to be possibly with me forever. But, you know, I have like strategies to manage it and I'm okay with it. I've come to terms and, you know, 15 years of weight loss later, I, I feel like I'm doing all right. But awesome. I'm always looking for how to help new people and, and selfishly how it can help my help me as well. <laughs> cool. So Josh, uh, tell us a little bit how you developed your habit-based, skill-based approach to weight loss. It was it personal, professional? Um, mostly professional. Um, I uh, it 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 sort of evolved just because what I started with and what I was originally taught didn't work. <laughs> um, so uh, like like I, I came in as a personal trainer, basically giving people different diets, and and they all worked to certain degrees for certain amounts of people, and also didn't work for a lot of people. Um, and then I went and I tried to flatten out like the differences between the different kinds of diets, and I had people do calorie counting for a while and food journaling. And um, what I found with having people journal about food was that it was less about the content of the food that they're writing down and more about um, what we were looking at to strategize in terms of changing their behavior and setting them up to be successful. And um, what, I, what I eventually found out was that I could actually remove the food journaling component completely and that we could just work on the habits and skills and get about the same result and often um, significantly better results for, for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people just got really hung up on the whole um, numbers and um, would get into these cycles of over-restricting and then um, over-indulging, which, I, which I, th I think is pretty, pretty common. I think, I think that's basically like the diet cycle of failure. Right. is too little and too much over and over again in increasing amounts. <laughs> Correct. And, and how amazing that, you know, the skill-based movement has been huge. I first learned about it from John Berardi mm -hmm. and Precision Nutrition, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, and just scrapped all the food logging and all the counting calories and all the tracking uh, which certainly has a place, but can only be sustainable for a short time. And then, you know, went to read all the change psychology books. And, you know, if it hadn't been for Berardi, I don't, I would have eventually come upon it because it's a thing. Uh, yeah. I'm very grateful that he brought that up to the coaching world back when I was so young and certainly had no idea of the path that was going to take later and work with even deeper underlying issues. But how wonderful that, you know, people like you have brought books into the world and articles and continue to do research and create a new way of being with our bodies. That's the way of the future. Thanks. Yep. So I'm personally really curious about the diet and nutrition environment of your childhood and how you grew up. I feel like we can't be coaches and teachers without bringing our own um, roots into all of this and uh roland and i often talk about how we grew up in our unique nutritional environment so how was that for you it's funny because no one's ever asked me about that um uh so it's kind of weird because um 
my parents did a lot right and then there was a lot those like kind of <laughs> kind of weird um uh my mom was just like a like a really horrible cook like the worst cook in the world um especially like protein and vegetables um so i really wasn't into that for my like most of my life <laughs> um and um uh, but on the flip side um, so, so, so really like, like later in life, I, I had to learn, <laughs> I had to learn that like you could add flavor to, to vegetables <laughs> and, and the, the, um, you know, that like meat and chicken stuff could be cooked well and you could have good sauces and, and, um, and it's, it's, it's weird to say that like, I didn't know that, but actually like, I really, really, really didn't think that was a thing. Um, and so food kind of wasn't that interesting, um, cause it wasn't very good. And, um, and then also, uh, on the, on the plus side, my parents ate really slowly and really moderately. And that's just how they ate naturally. It wasn't like something they tried to do or, or whatever, for whatever reason, they both just, um, just ate pretty slow. So I, I grew up eating really slow. You looking really good? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Actually, what's, what's ridiculous is my dad's this amazing cook. Um, and, um, he just didn't cook. I'm like, dad, what was, <laughs> like, like 20 years, why didn't you, <laughs> why didn't you? Why didn't you step in? Yeah. Um, but, um, but no, like, so, so even out at restaurants or, or whatever, we just ate, ate really slow. So I, I was actually super underweight. Um, and, um, I mean like, like really underweight. I was like really underweight and really uncoordinated. And like, when I think about, when I think about my childhood, I think about like playing football at the park and like having like trying to run the ball across the field and having this kid actually pick me up and run me back to the other side and spike me. And so like, like that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of like where I, where I come from. Um, and I've, I've, I've been the other way. Like I, I gained a bunch of weight in a, in a really bad relationship, emotional eating. And, and also when my mom was dying of cancer, um, so I, I had a couple times where I went way the other way, but, but for the most part, like growing up, growing up, I was the guy that was like, a, like six foot and 100, 130 pounds and like, like completely uncoordinated, uh, like couldn't, you know, like, like running track, I couldn't do the events with, um, where you had to stay in lanes. <laughs> it's like, that's the level of uncoordinated that I was. I don't, know, I don't know why Roland's laughing, but uh, hey, I could stay in the lane. I, I fell in love with this man before I saw him run. <laughs> and then I saw him run, and I was like, oh. That wasn't running. And I was like, wow. And like, I don't look at my partner as a project. Uh, in that in that way maybe in some other ways but not in like oh I really can't wait to fix his running form like that's not on my on my agenda as a wife there's things that are much higher on the hierarchy um but I was like that's when it hit me because I knew that he didn't grow up athletic yeah I knew that he started exercising when he was 35 but I hadn't seen evidence yet <laughs> you know like, yeah all right. Let's move along. I, <laughs> next topic. I, I actually found out, um, I guess, almost 10 years ago now, I had a, I've got a, I had a functional vision issue. And uh -huh. so, so a, a, I was blind. <laughs> really bad astigmatism. It turned out I needed glasses, which there's, I mean, 
I managed to get a driver's license being completely blind. Like growing up in a small town, the funniest things you can get away with. Um, but um, but like I was pretty blind, and I think because don't really oh. know. But I think because of that, I had a functional vision issue where I was actually switching eye dominance. Wow. So, what a challenge um, to performance and coordination. Yeah. So, so, so part of it was just like I couldn't, I couldn't see. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. No. You thought you were in the other lane. <laughs> what lanes? Right, right, right. I'm in the lanes. So amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for helping us helping us get to know you better. So our next question for us is more like themed with, with weight loss and what people okay, cool. do with. It, in your experience, when your clients and readers set off on a weight loss journey, um, what are some of the factors that they really don't take into account or have a blind spot about that further down the line may be actually what's derailing their intentions that they're just not looking at? I think the biggest thing is um, people aren't looking at what's going on between meals. I think, I think people get really, really hung up on um, the content of meals and the specifics of certain diets. And, um, and they, they, they completely ignore, um, and it actually mostly like, like are, are somewhat unconscious of um, the snacks they eat between meals, um, the times that they eat because they're bored, the times they eat because they're stressed, the times they eat because they saw the candy on their boss's desk, like, like all those little things um, that, uh, that, that, you know, like, like going back to food logging almost never gets logged and most people don't consider and don't, don't think about. And, um, and they don't realize that those things, um, don't contribute to fullness either physiologically or psychologically in any meaningful way. Um, and sometimes even make them hungrier. So, um, I think, I think that, that between meals is, is by far like the biggest blind spot. Um, the other thing that I see over and over again is, is people just getting caught up in um, the minutia of certain like magical diet rules and, and, and foods and things like that. Um, oh, and then, and then the, other, <laughs> the other thing is, um, is a lot of times people don't see that, kind of like we were talking about earlier, like that, that, um, that diet cycle of failure, that cycle of over-restricting and then snapping and like overcompensating. Um, they don't see how that is, how that keeps getting bigger and they don't ever see that the, that, like the over-restriction is what's feeding that cycle. They, they tend to relate to it as if they just had more willpower, if, if they just had more willpower that they could, um, that they wouldn't like snap like that. And so they tend to not just rely on willpower, but they tend to actually, um, they're like, you know what, the problem was that I, I wasn't restrictive enough. And so they actually become more restrictive on the next cycle. And, um, and, and it just gets bigger, like this, the swings just get bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting is if you will look at a little bit of how people yo-yo, yeah, the next cycle, you're usually bigger. Yeah. Oh, totally. And so now the over-restriction within the larger context of a body that now has higher caloric requirements because it's yeah. bigger yeah, is really feeding, like makes the next cycle even more vicious. Absolutely. And um, 
what you believe about yourself I also feel like really changes because then you start believing that there's something wrong with you or like all the people that come and they're like my metabolism is broken and it's like yeah. uh, well if you believe that then you start acting like it yeah and then it, it really is heartbreaking to see how many people who would have perfectly healthy responses to food uh, work themselves into disordered eating Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like the, the one thing that I, that I really want to highlight though, is that it's not their fault that they're, they've basically been taught that from, um, from the, the diet books they've read and the things they've seen in magazines and what they've heard trainers say and what they've heard on TV, like the, the fitness industry by and large teaches people to do that. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> Well, and one of the conversations I have with my clients all the time is that the typical person who's in fitness, especially when people who are fitness professionals are more on the figure side of things, in, oh, later, yeah. in latest years, you can see normal looking people be trainers, like yeah. people who don't have abs and who don't compete in uh, figure competitions be trainers. But like back yeah. in the day, personal training was for those people that that was their life's calling. Yeah. And what kind of a human being ends up being a figure competitor is somebody who's able to be incredibly rigid, incredibly disconnected from their like more emergent properties of their body and somebody who's more OCD. So like yeah. a lot of these, a lot of people who ended up being personal trainers, um, nothing, all of them, but back in the day, like in the nineties, eighties and nineties, yeah that set this stuff in, in place where like, well, why can't you eat six meals a day? Or like, we have all like the OCD kits for like, like these big coolers that have the little compartments and like yeah. no normal human being who's connected to the more emergent properties of the body as a system can live like this. Yeah. And so then it was like, well, if I can't be like this figure competitor trainer, then I can't do it at all. And so I think we're all really confused. <laughs> well and the, so the, the the funniest thing is i mean like like you look at that we started from an era where the people who were personal trainers this was this was their entire life mm -hmm. and their, their most successful clients were the people that were willing to make fitness their like main hobby right like this was going to be like the thing that they did in their off time um and so it, it's, it's just kind of interesting because we, we didn't have tools for the people that weren't going to invest 20 hours a week in, fit, in fitness. Right, right. Like we go to a 24 hours uh, commercial gym here in uh, Southern California and I've been going there for eight years and it's the same people. Yeah. But the same people are going to the gym and they're all in good shape because they live there. Yeah. Um, in, you know, the people who actually need to be there are not there. So where are people falling through the cracks? And, you know, if I'm going to choose fitness instead of um, orchid growing as my hobby, then I can be successful. But if I still want to yeah. grow my orchids, like how do I, <laughs> like how does this thing become a thing for me? Especially if I don't want abs. Like what if I don't want to smush my intestines under a six pack? Like what do I, like what do I do with my life, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what we do. Yeah. 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 You know? So um, I'm going to, I'm going to give Roland the next one. Yeah. So I, before I go on, I'm similar. Like, I feel like some of my 
clients and our readers, they're like the opposite. Like they, they feel like they need to do something, but they really don't want to work out. They don't want to exercise. So they're looking for ways to fit same diet and exercise into their lives in just a, in a way that jives with their life, right? It's like they don't want to be, it's not their hobby. They have other hobbies. So they don't want to, they want just enough to be good. And then like if they can find a way to do it where it doesn't really feel like exercise or, you know. Yeah, yeah like, like everyone gets to find their own balance. Like, like they, they, they get to say, they get to sort out their own values. They get to figure out what fits into their lives. And then, um, and then, and then the, the, the funny thing is like, like which, which you're alluding to, it sounds like, is that they don't realize that they've got other options, that there are other options, that there are, there are doses of all of this stuff. That's a lot smaller, that, totally. that's still effective. Totally. Hashtag stack your life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. It's kind of so, like, like what do you what do you see are the main obstacles to sustained or sustainable weight excuse me sustainable weight loss so um pretty much the things that that i that i, that I just said like like people are people are missing all the stuff people are missing all the stress eating people are missing all the um okay so 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 besides all the between meal stuff that i already covered the during meal stuff tends to be that um, people aren't eating balanced meals. They aren't um, paying attention to what they're eating, like like in terms of like five senses experiencing. They aren't eating slowly. They're um, probably pretty used to getting seconds. Um, there, there's all these behavioral things where, like the like the um, like like really similar to the to the between meal stuff. Um, they're they're eating more calories than they need to feel full um, without noticing it. They're, they're, they're way overshooting it because they're just not aware. Um, and, um, and that can be handled different ways. That can be whole, handled with things like, like, like plating and, and balancing meals and also like, like looking at what's probably about a good, a good portion. Um, and that can also be like, like I was saying, like, the vibes, like, how does this taste? How does it smell? Like, am I actually paying attention? Can I check in with my stomach mid-meal and notice that I'm getting full? Can I self-check an hour later and be like, was that, was that about the right, right amount, you know? Or if, if they're used to getting seconds, can they, um, can they wait 10 minutes and find out? Be like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm just always still hungry right after I finish eating. But if I wait 10 minutes, I find out that I'm actually fine or not. Or they're like, oh, you know what? I actually am still hungry, but at least now I know and I'll go back and get more. And, you know, um, so it's just all the ways people are disconnected from their actual hunger and fullness. It's so nice to hear you say those things because like some of those things you just said were, li were literally what I talked to within my clients. Like, we, we, like, we have a little like right down the list <laughs> we have a little um card that's printable a little bright yellow card that they can print out and to like three things you check before your meals and three things you check after Ooh, cool. they're super simple it's like we'll link it in the show notes it's like okay notice your hunger on a scale of you know one to ten notice if there's any emotions you know what are they notice if you have any thoughts what are they and then once you eat you know, do your five senses experience while you're eating and then check in again. How are your emotions now? How are your thoughts now? What's your fullness level right now? And it literally takes a moment. And uh, we have a, a free program called Five Days to Feeling Lighter, 
where every day they do a little five minute practice. And one of them is to do a minute of parasympathetic breathing before they eat so that they can connect with their gut and the vagus can kind of relax. Yeah. And we had somebody who we met at a, at an event and she said, I did your five days to feeling lighter, which is like a free program. She's lost 20 pounds yeah. just breathing before she eats. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And that she did, yeah. she's lost 20 pounds and I kept it off for like nine months yeah. now without doing anything. Different. Anything different. Well, how how sustainable is that though, right? I mean, like like of course she's kept it off. Like it takes a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it fe- and it feels good, right? Yeah. It, it feels good to to do some to do some deep breathing, to do some focused breathing. Like, right? What what does it take? And there's this thing where people put so much effort into designing and following their diet, but the return for the effort is not the same or greater. Yeah. And it's almost like if you are doing a workout to get more energy, but your workout is too hard, you're going to be depleted. It is the same within the diet realm where it's like if sustaining your diet is costing you so much effort, you're going to be too stressed out to reap any benefits. And to return to homeostasis, you have to go to couch mode, which might include snacking on the couch because your brain wants you to live, not to perish. Yeah. Which, you know what, I think, I think that's such a good example of comparing it to working out. Um, my, like, like, so, so my, my background's in the gym. Most, most of my clients work out for most of them working out is kind of like the easy part and food is like the really, really hard part. Um, and so as much as I can relate workout stuff to food stuff, the, the better we do. And, um, and I, I really like to explain to them that the, the kinds of food skills that we're working on are the same as their deadlift. And you know, if they're, if they're deadlifting 185 pounds now, but they're, they deadlifted 18 pounds the first time they came into the gym, then like, that's a long time. That's a lot of progression. That took a lot of practice. And the, these things um, can take a lot of like, like, like we, like we can progress, we can progress in frequency and intensity and, and, um, and it's a skill. And, and what's too much for them right now um, might not be too much for them in, in like six months. Like, like the amount of effort that they have to put in to learn a new skill versus to maintain it is drastically different. Totally, totally. And I feel like we talk ourselves, you know, ironically, talk ourselves out of what's good for us so often oh, yeah. in, in order to maintain whatever it is that we're maintaining. Um, that people don't even realize that taking these baby steps is such a confidence builder. And at some point you're like, wow, I can actually do this, but this is a new way of relating to myself. And so who I am when I think of myself as capable. And I feel like that's where your work is so critical in a very explicit way. Because it's one thing to be implicit about it and be like, oh, this is just what I'm going to do to get you to be successful. It's completely different to talk about it. Like I talk about it with our membership um, uh, team all the time in our, in our membership coaching where I'll say, you are going to feel like you don't want to do this. You're going to feel like you're going to get an email from us and you're like, Ugh, I don't want to open it. This is how you know that there's change that needs to happen that's not wanting to happen. So you just go and you just open it and do the one minute thing or the five minute thing. You're not going to want to do this and you need to be prepared for not wanting to do it. I think that's actually the most important um, preparation 
Um, you know, like, like early, early in my career, I was really into um, like logistical preparation, like like food and, and like figuring out what the what the obstacles are coming up and that are um, in your schedule and things like that. And that's all super important. Um, but now I feel like the mental preparation, like exactly what you just said of like, I'm not going to feel like doing this or I'm going to have these thoughts about like not wanting to do this. And that's actually okay. That's actually like 100% okay. That's normal. Um, that's, it's, it's so, it's so normal. It's so normal to be like, um, like I, I want to keep eating or I, or I want to manage this emotion with food or I, like, it's so normal to have all those thoughts and that's okay. And I think that the most freeing thing that uh, a person can learn is that it's okay to have those thoughts and those feelings and do and take the actions that fit their values anyway. Yeah. We just had a very interesting experience as a team. I was with other teachers assisting at a retreat. And so yeah. the last retreat we assisted together, you could go into the dining hall and there was a cold bar, a warm bar, and an Ayurvedic bar. So you just go and you just get whatever food you want, however much of it you want. The only rule was you use a new plate. There was no okay. other rule. You just go as often as you can. Yeah. And we were there for the same amount of time as this retreat, three days and nights. And I came back from that New York retreat, like bloated and stuffed and heavy because I love Ayurvedic food. <laughs> and there was, uh, there was a bucket of ghee. There was a bucket <laughs> of ghee. It, it wasn't like a bowl of ghee. There was a bucket of ghee and there was two ghee is free. Oh. And there were two there were two kinds of um this dal, this kitchari that I really yeah. love. Two kinds of kitchari. So like you go and you just put two kinds of kitchari and you put like two ladles of ghee on top of it and then just free flowing goodness. And yeah. Luckily breakfast was an uh, obligatory silent meal so we had to all pay attention but even with paying attention I'm like this is really good <laughs> and just having more of it and knowing I'm not going to come back to that retreat for at least two years I'm going to have yeah. more of that it was called the Buddha rock bar. out the, the, Buddha, Buddha bar. the Buddha bar so you can go to the Buddha bar and you just kind of like get a nice Buddha belly right <laughs> so with this other retreat I was at last week um, same group of teachers kind of same configuration same people it was very uh, Silicon Valley kind yeah. of retreaty. So they handmade each plate for you with like a gourmet portion of what they had. And they carefully put edible flowers on top of like the right angle on top of the beef. Wow. And they would like hand it to you and look at you and be like, enjoy your meal. And so they're like looking at you in the eyes with like this like food flirty thing going on. <laughs> And so, like, you take your plate, and there's, like, here's the plate, and, like, the meal's, like, the center of the plate, but it's not a full plate. Yeah. So, like, you sit, and you eat your stuff, and I'm, like, uh, and then if you want more, you have to go and line up in line with, like, 20 people again. Go to the same people that just gave you that plate and say that you won't want more, that yeah. they have to, like, carefully make again, and they ask you the same questions all over again. And uh, I will admit that I sent someone to get me uh, an extra. <laughs> I, I sent this, uh, my colleague who's kind of like a beanpole looking guy, like Michael's kind of like, you know, thin and slender. I was like, go get me another piece of beef because they're probably not going to judge you, you know. <laughs> but I came back and I was like 
starving. Like I got off the plane and I was like, I need to eat. Like I, <laughs> I was on a calorie restricted diet for four days. <laughs> totally. And it was amazing because it was the same amount of movement, the same amount of responsibility. Right. And just a completely different environment for the food. Oh, that's and wild. I behaved completely differently. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and I'm aware I can, I can, you know, do some, I can do some management of how I feel after eating unrestricted portions for four days. Yeah. But I behaved completely differently because it was set up differently. And what if we that's set wild. that up in our own kitchen, you know? Oh yeah. You know, we can do the same thing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. We, we can totally make things easier or harder. Um, it's like a lot of my clients will keep dessert at the market, you know, like, like if, if you want a cookie, it's there's a bakery down the street, go, go get one anytime you want it. But that's different from, um, from having, it just like, or, don't get a dozen or bring them back. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is why bakeries are so great. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. find like a really good bakery and you go and you get like a really good chocolate chip cookie. Versus like getting like a bag of Chips Ahoy with like 60 like kind of cookies. Kind of okay, kind of okay. Hey, when we're not podcasting, we are creating content on our website at eatmovelive52.com where you can find our programs, courses, and several books. If you've never been there before, make sure that you go to eatmovelive52.com slash podcast guest Get your free gift and find out how you can work with us. We coach people one-on-one and in groups and would love to gift you a complimentary 30-minute discovery session. So if you're interested, come on eatmovelive52.com slash podcast guest and work with us. When Roland's kids were still at home, he would send them home to their mom with all their treats. Like nothing could stay in our house. Yeah. Yeah, because my kids can have like my son or my daughter, they can have like a bag of whatever treat and it'll last weeks. Like, especially for my, like, like sometimes like I'll be like cleaning them. I would have been cleaning their room and I would find like, oh, this is that thing that they got. They wanted this bag of treats and they never finished it. Yeah. that would never have happened for me. They up. just totally self-regulate. Yeah. They're fine. Yeah, like my daughter will say, hey, do we still have that bag of such and such in the in the cupboard? And I go, that was like from a month ago. She goes, yeah, but I didn't finish it. Go, well, I did. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that, that actually brings up like kind of an interesting point that like um, people have drastically different relationships to food and completely different things can work for, for different people. You know. And oftentimes different people in the same house. Yeah, yeah, it, right. It, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, one of I don't know how you address this, but one of our biggest challenges with some clients is like we have one person who wants the help and they want to take control of their, their food, but either the other people have no interest or they don't need to. Like in my case, when I was, when I was losing weight, my, my family was all thin, healthy, self, easily self-regulating. They were yeah. fine. I didn't yeah. want to subject my dietary habits to them. But it was also a challenge because sometimes they would have some of these treats in the house. And it was really hard for me to resist. And totally. So we had that from both angles, from both sides. Like, um, like 
sometimes the family does need the help, but they don't want it, and only one member. So it's like sort of can go, you know, either way. How yeah. do you address, how do you address things like that? Um, so, uh, the same way that we address kind of like all the emotional eating and stress eating and, and, and those, those kinds of things. Um, uh, cause lots, lots of people have, have like, like kids and stuff and, and treats for the kids. Um, the, so the, there's, there's, there's two levels. There's sort of like a, um, sort of like a, a guideline. And then there's also like addressing, um, your internal state. And so like kind of a basic guideline would be like waiting 10 minutes. So you're like, oh man, I really want to eat the food off the kid's plate because they had mac and cheese and I had, I had whatever. Um, I'm, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait 10 minutes and see. And in that 10 minutes I'll go, you know, do like, I won't stare at it the entire time. <laughs> but, um, but just, just giving yourself enough time to actually make a choice. Um, the biggest thing that I'm looking for is people have these like really automatic patterns. They're like, oh man, I should, I should eat the, I should eat the cookie, right? Like, like kids are eating their cookies. I, I should eat the cookie. Um, and they, they have that impulse to want it and then they have it. And so if, if we can separate, um, if we can put some distance between the impulse and them actually doing it, then they actually have time to make a choice. It's just a matter of like slowing down enough that they actually get to say, and that's that's the 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 biggest simplest thing is just to put some time in there, and I'll start clients off with like ten or twenty minutes, and then they'll be able to work down. Actually, they they work down the other way where they'll get to a point where like they can they can take ten seconds to stop and think about it and make a choice, and um and that's really cool. And so that's that's like the simplest. And we we can do that with snacks. We can do that with treats. We can do that with seconds. We can do that with all kinds of things. Um, the other thing we do is look at um, a tool called diffusion um, from acceptance and commitment training or contextual behavioral science, which is just getting some distance from your thoughts, which is just being able to observe them and realize that they aren't true, they aren't an emergency, they aren't something that I need to fix, and that it's okay to have them. It's okay to have those cravings and it's okay to want that. And it's all, all that's normal. And that um, that I can I can have those thoughts and I can have those cravings and I can have I can want that, um, and it doesn't mean that I necessarily have to do anything about it. And so there's there's a component of accepting the normalcy of it. There's a component of being able to observe it. Um, there's a couple different metaphors we use for that, depending on which one fits their situation better. Um, and they'll literally think through this like metaphor or this visualization, such that. Um, they've got a way of noticing their thoughts as being separate from themselves and not being urgent. This is amazing and really, really helpful, I think, to most of our readers and students. I'm really grateful that you shared it. Going a little bit closer to what you just shared, I'm really curious how you talk to your clients about motivation. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, I wrote about this, like your, um, the reason you're wanting to be on a diet is actually working for the bad guy that lives inside of you. That's why it doesn't work. But <laughs> the, the people in recovery I work with have been so conditioned by objectification, seeing themselves from the outside yeah. and seeing themselves as a thing instead of, a, of an animated from the inside out human being. Like there's a dislocation of consciousness that are learned, like, occurred really early that most of their motivation comes from a place of 
looking at some at themselves as a thing and self-rejection and trying to fix themselves and hoping that one day they'll get themselves to a place where they'll be deserving to self-accept themselves instead of being shamed by how they look and 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 have the self-love that is our birthright and in that process because the motivation is the motivation of rejection yeah and 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 self-hatred and 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 shame and guilt and all these things that work within it um then they, they keep failing because you cannot win when objectification is where you start it. So my work is to shift that. It's a very intricate and long process. I've been working long-term over the last four years with the same group of people and together we're watching what's been happening in the group. And so I'm really curious how you do that. Like how do you deal with motivation and what motivates people to shift? Okay. Um, man, that's a small question. Yeah. I know it's real heavy. I know how I work. I'm curious how it comes up for you because you, you work more, you work from a different paradigm than I do. Totally. How you do that. Um, so I like to look at it from the perspective of uh, organismic integration theory, which is a sub theory of self-determination theory that says that there's basically, I'm going to simplify it. There's like four levels of motivation. And the least self-determined would be totally external, which would be like reward and punishment. Like I'm going to reward myself for doing this, or I'm going to punish myself for being bad. Um, the next level would be like um, uh, guilt or contingent self-esteem, which is like, I feel guilty if I, if I eat the bad thing, or I feel like I'm a good person. I've got self-esteem if I eat the good thing. Um, and so that's also on the external side as we start to get a little more towards, um, as we start to get on the more self-determined side, there's like, um, there's, uh, like, like values and things that you've identified as being important to you and, and maybe like personally identified goals. Um, and that's, and, and so that's a little bit, at least you're like kind of looking at what matters to you a little bit. You might be borrowing it from other people still. Um, but at least it's you're still a little bit reflective. And then the most self-determined, it's actually not the most self-determined, but the most self-determined in what we're gonna talk about is, um, is like your like values that are integrated with your sense of self. Like, like you're looking at the kind of person you wanna be, what matters to you and what you stand for. And so on, on one side, we've got totally external, that is a form of motivation. It's just uh, associated with the lowest amount of well-being and it's like the least enduring form of motivation. Um, then the other side, we've got um, a, a kind of motivation that most people have never really interacted with before, at least about fitness. Um, and, um, but it's, it's really highly enduring because people tend to want to be the kind of person that they want to be. Like that doesn't, that doesn't change. It's, it's not as um, fragile. And so the game becomes um, reflecting on their values. And there's some really cool research on um, people increase their, their intrinsic motivation. They, they increase this internal motivation. Um, the more often they reflect on their values. And it's, it's like, and there's, there's a million different ways that that shows up. I don't think it even matters how. Like I, I've seen it done where people get like a values list and they, they pick a couple values. I've seen it where they journal about the kind of person they want to be. Um, any, any of those kinds of things, if they do at least once a week, seems to increase their intrinsic motivation. Um, the big thing for most people is being able to differentiate between these sort of like external goals, standards, and ideals, and um, 
um, and, and what like their values are. And so I like to explain it like a value is a direction and a goal is a, is a destination. And so uh, a value isn't something you get to to try and fix yourself, right? A value is like, I want to be strong or I want to be patient or I want to be wise or I, like, like you never, you never like achieve wiseness. You, you never achieve like, like perfect patient, you know, like the, like these are, these are things that you can, it's a game that you can play every single day. It's a game that you can play for the rest of your life. And it's a, it's something you can have right now in the moment. Like you can have it right, right, right now. If I'm going to play the game of being strong, I, I could look at what it means to be strong right now whether that's working out or having a hard conversation or, or, or what, what, whatever. Um, did that, did that kind of answer that? <laughs> totally. It totally answers it. And I love, I'm a very visual person. So like in my mind, I almost see it as this wheel and you're moving down the spokes towards the center of the person. Ooh, um, like and um, it, it's just a really, when you can be at the center of the person, all of this, all the, all the management strategies kind of fall away and you just live life. And I find yeah. that what most of my clients want when they come to me in recovery is they say, I just want to be normal. I want to be normal. I yes. don't want to think about food. I don't want to have to think about like, what do I have to exercise to buy myself um, the self-worth for today? And because yeah. it's a superficially achieved state from the outside, it doesn't stick it rolls off kind of like water off a duck and so people feel like they lack substance in their achievement and there's always an emptiness there's always a sense of like falling short because you are and thank god you have that sense of lack of fulfillment and you want to be more like yourself because otherwise you just coast through life in a trance and i tell them i'm so grateful that you're uncomfortable with all this because otherwise you'd never need to change anything and you just have to come back as like a koala or something, you know? And it's like, what, like, what's the next phase for you? Like eucalyptus? Like, I don't know. So, so really being grateful for the discomfort that we see so that we can course correct where our life is going off track. That's cool. That's actually really cool. So my shortcut to all that you just said is when you do this thing, when you do the thing you do, whatever the thing is, do you feel more connected to yourself or less connected to yourself? Yeah. And I teach my clients how to track connection and disconnection. And really? Yep. And if you track disconnection, you know you're coming from the outside. And if you're tracking connection, you're coming from the inside. Can, can I ask how you track that? Somatically, physically. Uh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So they know, they know what feeling connected to themselves feels like and what right. feeling disconnected from themselves because it's a felt sense. Yeah. So as they learn and as we do the bottom up work, they learn, oh, I'm totally disconnected from myself right now. Yeah, you are. So the thing you just did is disconnecting from yourself. So let's track back and see what can you do in a more connected way. It's awesome. And it's a super shortcut, but it's not a shortcut to hack into the health of the body. It's a shortcut to help you know that the things you've been doing have not been serving your greatest good or coming from the best parts of yourself. Yeah. And we all have to do that. I do that daily. I yeah. might do it in my work. I might do it in how I treat myself. And just knowing that it's a constant process of connecting and disconnecting and being able to track it is incredible freedom. That's awesome. I know. I love it. It's, I love our work. It's so cool. <sighs> so 
there's there's something we want to talk to you about that has to do with modeling like how do we model health to the next generation like how do we model a health at every size attitude to children to young people when media is like completely blasting us with like crazy images that are unrealistic um i come at that kind of from the same perspective um where we we talk about the difference between these things that are totally external um versus being the kind of person you want to be okay and, and like like knowing what your values are and taking actions in line with your values and i think um when people are really connected to what they stand for and the kind of person they want to be and we line up their actions with with that and we can increase the frequency of those behaviors we're we're rocking we're we're absolutely totally rocking and um and there's uh there's 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 a i mean there's there's a bunch of cool things about like like complexity of self-image and and things like that where it's like hey do i identify entirely with my body or do i also notice like who i am as a parent and who i am in my career and who i like all these other different places i, I get to express this and, and realizing that i'm a more complete person and i'm more valuable than just that um yeah but so so the, the the basic thing is is i try and attach it to the values or try and attach it to actions that are connected to that person's individual personal values awesome so very <laughs> very human-centric approach yeah well it, it's like and and speaking to what, what you're saying a, a minute ago about how like it expands in other areas of their life once people like nail down their values they're telling me they're like oh yeah like I actually changed my job description at work or I had this like, I had this crazy, I'm like, I'm like what? They're like, well, I, I looked at, I looked at who I want to be around strength and reasonableness. And, and, and I was like, Hey, I'm not being this at work. And so is it okay if I break? <laughs> well, sure. Well, go ahead and be the kind of person you want to be wherever, <laughs> wherever you want. We'll yeah. just work on food. No extra charge. <laughs> we'll just work on food, but you feel free to take it other places. Interesting. Well, I mean, this kind of leads us to the next question. Like, you know, you covered some of it, but uh, what other metrics do you look at or do you help people with other than weight, whether it's tangible, intangible, what kind of stuff do you track and celebrate? We, we, we track skill practice. We, we absolutely track skill practice. I, I try and bring everything back to skill practice um, because it's so simple. It's, it's, it's stuff that's easy to count. Um, so it's like how many meals were balanced? Like, like how many meals had vegetables or how many meals had protein? Um, how, how many times did you eat a meal every four to six hours without snacking in between? How many times did you notice, um, did you notice that you were full and stop? How many times did, did you notice, um, you were hungry before eating? How many times did you use, so like, like the, like the diffusion metaphors for like getting some distance from your thoughts. It's like, how many times did you use the monsters on the bus metaphor? How often did you use the chessboard metaphor? And so, um, so we're, we're just tracking what they did. And then the other game we can play is we can look at what they did and compare that to their stated values and say like, Hey, are these actions in line with your values? You know, if not, should we find some other actions or do you want to adjust your values? Or um, are you are you increasing? Essentially, it's are you increasing the frequency of being the kind of person you want to be? And and I'm I'm talking about these things that are like way outside of what people normally talk about, like like their values 
and like um and and like like these like concepts of getting distance from their thoughts like diffusion and so i i have to bring it back to things that are easy to count like like behaviors um otherwise people get lost right right i love the how easy to observe behaviors are because it's almost like a yes and no question yeah did i like it's not like did I do it or did I not do it? There's no, yeah. I kind of had Did I walk after meals? Did I walk after lunch five times this week? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Very, very, very specific. I love that. I love that. So my last kind of land our discussion, my geek question is, are there any surprises? I know that you're reading like some unspeakable amount of research, which I, like my research is I'm sitting with you and I'm asking you a question and I'm tracking what your stomach is doing. Your research is like, you're actually reading papers. I deeply <laughs> respect you for that. Um, but is there anything surprising or anything like, wow, I'm reading this and it's like, really, this is how this works. Is there anything that's been really surprising to you in all the research that you've been reading for your thesis? Yeah, one thing super surprised me, like super, super, super. So I'm, I'm reading all this stuff about um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, I usually say acceptance and commitment training because I'm not a therapist. Um, and that's sort of like the non-therapy branch of it. But I, I'm reading all this stuff about ACT and I'm reading about contextual behavioral science and, and, in, in, and, and also in, in behavioral weight loss. And, and in most of the research I read, um, control is the problem, not the answer. So, it, and, so, and that, that extrapolates across um, across like, uh, <laughs> I love that you were jumping up and down <laughs> for, for the people listening at home. <laughs> um, so like, so, and, and that, that goes, I've seen that go across from like, like diet control to, um, to even like thought control to emotional control, all, all these things like, like emotion suppression absolutely increases, um, the like like rebound eating and thoughts pressure increases rebound eating and and um, restrictive dieting and black and white food issues and all, all these things um so what i was really surprised by was the um how much population matters and this this blew my mind there's actually a huge population of people that control works for i did not expect that in a million years what i found out was that um if you look at um, emotional eating scores and, and in different studies, these different ones, these different surveys, but for the people that are, are low emotional eaters, you can actually use control strategies. You can diet, you can change your thoughts. You can do all those things for people that are high emotional eaters. All of those things destroy them. Like they absolutely destroy them. It's worse than doing nothing. <laughs> they, re they rebound so huge when they use those things. So, um, but that actually, it shifted my perspective a lot because I realized that like a lot of the train, like we're talking about figure competitors and, and I realized that like a lot of the trainers and a lot of the people that are recommending these control strategies, those control strategies actually work for them. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And, and so I get to tell my clients now, hey, you know what, your, your sister that uses this control, control strategy and that works great for her and that doesn't work for you, that's okay. That's totally, it really does work for her and it really doesn't work for you and that's okay. And so, um, so the tools that people that have emotional eating issues need are, are just different. And, um, and, 
and I'm being less mean online to people that, that like promote control strategies really heavily. I realize that they just work with a different population than I do. You know, like if, if they work with CrossFit games athletes, then like, of course, right? Like if, if they're working with, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. It, the, I'm working with a celebrity or an actor who needs, yeah. like they're so motivated to do these things. Yeah. You know. well, this is not my clients. <laughs> Most the, of them. The CrossFit competitors and Hollywood actors is not why our country is headed towards a complete economical collapse because of lifestyle-related illness. You know? <laughs> right. So, like for me, for me as somebody who specializes in chronic pain uh, and trauma, <laughs> like <laughs> for me to like even consider control for any of my clients is like the stupidest thing I could do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a personal trainer, I could afford to do that when my yeah. case, but like um, in my current pr private practice, it's just impossible because the population is just going to bend and collapse and it'll they, destroy them. It'll destroy them, but they still yeah. want to self-destroy sometimes. It's just not okay for me to be the source of that destruction. Yeah. <laughs> well, Very, so like my, my, my population is similarly poorly affected by control strategies um but it is really useful to, to let them know like hey you know what that works for your friend or that that trainer that told you that 10 years ago they weren't like a liar it just like that worked for them <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah yeah and um y you know it's it's incredible how much we realize that humans were all different and all unique and we're yeah. all like snowflakes but then how we forget that yeah you know, it's like, how yeah. do we know that and forget that at the same time? Uh, and so I'm very grateful. Oh, oh that, that brings up another point. That also gives them, um, it also gives them a lot of um, the ability to forgive themselves yeah. for having done all these control strategies that they heard about and just being like, oh, like that wasn't like a personal failing of mine. Like I just need something different. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, just, I just need a different tool. You know? Yep. And, and and being able to forgive yourself and it puts the puts the consciousness inside because <laughs> you can't forgive through object relation <laughs> you have to forgive from the inside and so it really it's it's huge it's huge when that happens so you are a wealth of information and skill and i'm like oh my god like i wish that we were in a parallel universe where i could just like work with you every day so when can people, where can people find more about you and um, where they can stay in touch with you so they can um, be immediately notified when your new book comes out? <laughs> um, I've got a website called losestubbornfat.com um, and I write blog posts about these kinds of things. If, if, you, if you dug this, there's a lot of that. Um, if you sign up on the email list, you'll get them all. You'll, you'll get all that. Um, also, I have a... Uh, I've got a Facebook group for my first book. Um, so there's a Facebook group, Fat Loss Happens on Monday, and I'm in there and I answer questions and stuff. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So we highly, highly recommend your book. We'll link the Amazon link in the show notes. We'll link to your Facebook group. We'll link to your site so people can come and sign up for your newsletter and they're notified. And uh, we're going to make you promise on air that you will come to talk about the new book when it comes I will. Yes. <laughs> now we have it in uh, in recording, and I, I can't wait for that. So thank you so much for being thank such you. an incredible, incredible guest. I feel inspired. Me too. Thank you. It's great having you. This is so much fun. Thanks, guys. 
Hey, thank you for listening. If you like the show, why not subscribe using the podcast app of your choice and get each episode delivered to you automatically. If you love the show, consider sharing it or leaving a rating or review using the links in the show notes. You can find your free downloads and all the ways to work with us at eatmovelive52.com slash podcast guest. And thank you for listening to the Eat Move Live 52 podcast. Thank you.